you need to bleep this, but fuck you, motherfucker. You are the worst fucking director I have ever fucking worked with in my entire life. You will never make a movie again. I'm going to walk the fuck off this set if you don't get your shit together right the fuck now. In front of not only my, my crew that I'm going to try to work 22 days with, but in front of my, like, grandma who came to support, my mom and dad are there. Like, the entire family. I, I, I stopped and I went, okay, but let's finish the scene now. And we got back in and we finished the scene. And, like, I kept my cool until I went home that night. And I went home that night. I kid you not. I, like, cried. And I was like, first of all, I'm not making this movie. And second of all, I'm not making any movies ever again. Like, I'm quitting tomorrow morning. Welcome to The Practical Filmmaker, an educational podcast brought to you by the Filmmaker Institute and Sunscreen Film Festival, where industry professionals talk nuts and bolts and the steps they took to find their success today. On today's show, AJ Martinson gives us a fantastic view into the land of distribution and sales, both for his first indie narrative and now his feature doc. Quick disclaimer, as you all know, the post workflow is full of shoulda, coulda, wouldas, and this particular episode, I fell down on the job and forgot to have him wear headphones. Ergo, you'll hear some bleed through of my audio, some echoes and fluxing sync if you're watching. Um, I'm sorry, the distraction is regrettable, but bear with us because the absolute knowledge that AJ drops when it comes to the, the first steps of selling his films is so worth it. So without further ado, I'm your host, Tanya Musgrave, and today we're chatting with producer-director of Section 3 Films, A.J. Martinson. He wrote and directed Cold War spy thriller Black Mark, distributed by Sony Pictures Home Entertainment, and has worked commercial and documentary, his most recent being The End of Blindness, about an Ethiopian doctor who is the only ophthalmologist for three million people. Welcome to the show. Hey, Tanya, how's it going? Hey, this is awesome because like we met up at the Sundance house and we'd honestly not gotten a huge chance to chat about like what your experience has been. I only knew that you were in the throes of screening and getting distribution for your feature documentary, um, The End of Blindness. But I wasn't aware that you also had a narrative feature that you'd written and directed that was also distributed. And then I saw that you were also involved with commercials. So it seems like quite a story. Tell us how you got here. <laughs> All right. So, I mean, you know, I'm sitting in high school. I'm 16, like bored out of my mind in English class, which is funny because now like I write a lot and I'm sitting in the chair thinking like, what could I do? That's a fun and exciting career. I'm like, oh, I know what I want to do. I want to sit in a chair and like boss people around all day long. <laughs> and don't we? All? And what job is that? Uh, film director, of course. <laughs> I'm, I'm like half kidding. I'm like half kidding. Uh, and so. <laughs> but yet like, so, huh. Yeah. <laughs> really, the impetus has to do with the movie I'm releasing right now, The End of Blindness. I was invited to Ethiopia just when I was like, kind of like maybe movies. And I was like playing with a handy cam, like mm. how we all start out. Yeah. And my cousin who runs Tropical Health Alliance Foundation invites me to Ethiopia I bring my camera and I film like a three minute micro doc on yeah. this crazy foot disease called podoconiosis. It's horrible. It's like a viral infection of the foot. It's super nasty. Yeah. Larry was doing great work in Ethiopia, you know, providing shoes because uh, that's mm -hmm. what would cause it. Just walking on this volcanic soil, they get Ooh. this foot disease Yeah. and not fun. Yeah. So yeah, he yeah. was like treating it and preventing it. And I filmed this tiny little documentary. I used to watch like a lot of 60 Minutes as a kid for some reason. I think my dad liked it. So it was always on. And so like I made this little like 60 Minutes, like check out this crazy issue that no yeah. one here in the United States has ever heard of. <laughs> and, you know, my cousin encouraged the film and he like showed it to people. And I got hooked on 
this process of making documentaries and making movies. And yeah. I got out of high school and said, I'm done with school for a while. Yeah. I'm not a fan. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and so I actually, to get on, uh, my first job was an internship for gotcha. Steve McEviti, who produced The Passion of the Christ. Oh, wow. Uh, yeah. Uh, and what? I got that job. Right. Yeah. <laughs> I went for a walk in my neighborhood. And because, you know, when you're born and raised in L.A., you know where all the film shoots are. Oh my and so I was just walking in the neighborhood and I went up to like a grip truck and I was like, hey, guys, you need a hand. And they're like, no, because you're 18. Like yeah. what? But like, yeah. go talk to our UPM. She's super cool. And that UPM got me the internship. And then later oh hired gosh. me on at Malpaso Productions to do Jersey Boys as a PA just by t just by like hanging out. And the movie they were filming was Hop. And they filmed this big high school scene like four or five blocks away from where I grew up. So oh my gosh. that's kind of how I got started. I remember getting in trouble at school because I got the phone call from Empower Pictures to schedule my interview. And I like walked out of class <laughs> without saying a word to take the call. <laughs> And like the teacher like wrote me up. I had to go to the principal's office. They were like super pissed. And I'm like, this is my career. Bye. I'm outie. So that's amazing. Uh, <laughs> so that's that's uh, that's how I got my start. Uh, it was a crazy time. And, you know, there, there, there are tons of adventures in there. I mean, uh, I was a second AD on a feature film that shot in Texas like six months after the internship ended. What? And they paid me a dollar an hour. Yeah, a dollar an hour. Soup's legal. It was like an we called it like an like a friend internship, right? Because I was like helping out this production. Yeah. And, but I I learned like I saw how movies were made, and yeah. like we shot this crazy film in Texas. You know, Marfa, Texas. People were like bringing shotguns onto set to like shoot rattlesnakes, and and like it's the DP and like the ranch owner in the middle of nowhere. And uh, I don't know. It, oh my word. It was crazy, but it was super fun. And it, it, again, like just learning the process end to end, like how do you make a movie? And like, how do you set up a crafty table? Because they didn't yeah. hire PAs. So yeah. like second AD really just meant PA plus. So how did you get from there to writing, directing, distributing your own film? And like, which one came first? You know, because like, I guess you did documentary first, technically, but like, is a journey just kind of been like, kind of like whatever's been up, like it's a commercial, then it's a documentary, then it's a feature, or it's just kind of like, oh, I actually just did commercial first or feature. I worked within the traditional Hollywood model first, and then I, I kind of branched off and did my own thing. I set a goal when I got out of high school, and that's I have to write and direct a feature film in four years as my thesis from not going to film school because okay. I skipped college okay. entirely. Okay. And so that was really the driving force. And when like year three hit and I didn't have a script, like I, I, I wrote a script, but it was terrible and it would cost like $20 million. And I was like, no <laughs> So, like, I didn't have that, like, yeah. low-budget indie, you know, I can actually do this script. I picked a spy thriller in Soviet Russia in 1960, so I'm <laughs> clearly not good at contained. Um, period film. But... Awesome. Perfect. <laughs> <laughs> period film with night exteriors, with kids. It's like, I broke all the, like, you, the rules you're not supposed to Did do. you have a dog so... in there, too? Like, <laughs> a big herd of sheep? <laughs> yeah, big herd of sheep. Uh, it's all shot on drones. No. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I set this this goal of like, okay, four years, I have to make a project. Like, I have to have something that I can say I did. And then if after four years I can't do that, then I'm going to quit Hollywood and be like an accountant and like 
it's gonna be super awesome and like crunch numbers all day long. <laughs> Screw creativity. It's like one or the other. There's no in between. Oh no. <laughs> <laughs> Until your soul dies. <laughs> yeah, just it just that's it. You know, dreams over, time to give up. I got to year three and I put the pressure on and I think I banged the script out for Blackmark in four months. It was fast. It was too fast in retrospect. If yeah. you wonder why we have a 4.5 on IMDb, it's because I wrote that script way too fast. I did not. <laughs> I was like, I just got to shoot something. Let's go. But it was really cool. <laughs> At first, I thought you were talking about 4.5 out of 5. I'm like, that's not bad. And then no, I'm no, just no. like, out oh, of wait. 10, oh, out of wait. 10. It's like, uh, <laughs> very rotten on Rotten Tomatoes. <laughs> very rotten. There are parts of the story that when I watch it now, I don't even understand what I was trying to say. <laughs> like, I'm like, wait, what is the point of this scene? That's again? a good sign. <laughs> it's, it, yeah, it's super stellar filmmaking. So I'm hard on the story. All right. Yeah. I'm very hard on the writing of that film. I am proud of the production. Yeah. Because... Yeah. It went from like I was going to shoot it and I was thinking like maybe I shoot it myself and like three best friends mm -hmm. to all of a sudden I looked at my bank account and I started like hiring like this crew person and that crew person and that. And then all of a sudden it's like, well, if I just squeeze these numbers just like this, you know, I'm very lucky. This is the uh, a little bit of what made this possible is I had access to this incredible location where we could film everything. Really? Really? Yeah. So like the sets were basically 75% there and we just had to do wall treatment and things like that. <laughs> oh my gosh, that's awesome. So that's amazing. That saved amazing. all the money to yeah. do a period piece, right? So yeah. I got lucky and, and, and it was very lucky. So we didn't have to spend so much money on the props and yeah. stuff. Do you mind what I do you mind if I ask what the what the budget was? We shot for 100 Mm -hmm. And that was uh, like 100K. And that was like, seriously, you know, I'd been living at home, scrimping and saving and like drain the bank account and then like knock on the door of like every family and friend member. Like, hey, can I have some money? And they're like, okay, because no, I'm just like, wait a second. Making, you just yeah. saved 100K. Like, where did you work before? <laughs> but yeah, I mean, yeah, it was it, a lot of that was self-funded. So I was doing editing. Because uh -huh. nobody likes editing. Uh -huh. And so I was doing cinematography work and like I bought a camera and then set up my own little production company. And we were, you know, I think back then we were churning like 45, 50 a year with very little overhead, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. you know. And yeah. so three or and four years of that yeah. and living at home, you know, that like lucky thing. Didn't go to college. So the parents are like, well, there's some college money we were going to spend, <laughs> I yeah. guess, yeah, you know. Yeah. So like I got help, yeah. I, 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 you know. But yeah, a lot of it was just save work, save work. And of course, we didn't spend the hundred all in one shot. Yeah. There were kind of stages to the production. So like I yeah. bought the props over six months and then I'd go work like seven or eight jobs. Mm -hmm. So it was kind of this layered thing. Yeah. I went all in on it and mm -hmm. we shot 22 days. And nice. I originally I was going to have like four or five people. By the time the whole thing was done, including post-production, cast and everything, we had like mm. 90 people who worked on it. Oh, my stars. It was like insanity. What? It was insanity. And it became way bigger. And like one of my favorite people that I worked with on it is the cinematographer, Nick Matthews, who is like, this guy's going to be ASC in like four months, I swear. He's so wow. good. Wow. And he came in and was like, why would we make this as like an indie film? Let's make it look like a blockbuster. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, mm -hmm. but I, can I afford that? And he goes, watch me. And he's like, go get the Panavision grant. And so, you know, you can go to Panavision and say, hey, I want a camera. 
So they'll give you a camera package for $1,000, which is just a cleaning fee for as long as you no. need, as long as you request like the right package. And that's something I learned. I put on the grant, I'm like, I want anamorphics and I want the Alexa 65 or whatever the equivalent was at the time. And I want like the top of the line gear. And they, they laughed at me. I like called them because they said no. And I called them, I'm like, why do you mean no? Like I, I, the movie I shot in Texas, which is like way different than this, but like, you know, like you gave them one, why can't I get one? And they're like, well, you asked for like 6 million, like Star Trek doesn't get anamorphics right now. Why would we give them to you? And I'm like, okay, well, what, <laughs> what can you do for me? And they're like, well, we can give you an Alexa classic and Primo primes and like O'Connor heads and monitor. I'm like, yes, please. Okay, done. And so we, we shot it on Alexa. Wait, so they'll just Primos. do this with anybody? Back up. Yeah, basically, any as far as I know, I haven't checked on it in a while, and you can do it multiple times, but if you say you're like a student, a low-budget film, they just want to build relationships with people, and if it's gear that's sitting in their back closet... Oh, that, my word. Yeah, you didn't know about this? No, I oh, didn't. Oh, this is huge. This is so huge. Yes, yeah. this is amazing. Yeah, yeah Panagram. <laughs> I'm all about Panagram. Like, they were amazing. Like, th There's, like, three stipulations. You have to pay a cleaning fee, so it's not absolutely free. But, like, yeah. uh, come on. This was a $20,000 camera pack. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What's the cleaning fee? Like, a grand. Bucks? It's, it's a like, grand. It's like a thousand. A yeah, yeah. You have to have serious production insurance because they are giving you all of this, like... Yes. So you have to have the insurance. I mean, I think on... The black mark alone, we spent like 10 grand just on insurance. Gotcha. So you gotcha. have to have a beefy, beefy insurance package to cover it. All right. So you get this crazy package. Sorry, I'm like, I'm derailing you. So like, <laughs> no, no, it's good. I love the Panagrant is one of my favorite things. I owe them so much. Like the film looks so good because Panavision was like, hey, here's all this camera equipment. And oh my, my DP gosh. was like, oh, by the way, I'm a boss and I know how to use it. <laughs> So <laughs> it looks it looks like a proper movie. Yeah. It's got like the actors did really, really well. There was a lot of like training. We didn't we went non-union because like uh -huh. no way am I going to be writing union checks. Yeah. In yeah, perpetuity yeah. on like an ultra low budget <laughs> no, no. where the distributors aren't paying like you get pennies on the dollar back. Right. Yeah. So I, I was very careful about that. Pulled every friend and family favor I could cashed in all the cash that I had and we just we shot it. Mm -hmm. And it looks like the technical aspects of it, I would say, exceed the story by a factor of like 10 to 100. <laughs> so as a director, it was pretty good. As a writer, it, <laughs> but, <laughs> it makes a good trailer, though, right? But it makes a good trailer and, and it sold and like people bought it. And like it's really big in Turkey and Istanbul for some reason. Random. Like, yeah, well, we mentioned it in the film, and I think they're like, oh, wow, like an American movie mentioned like something that happened in our country that's historical. We love this film. So, yeah, like so like some places it's played okay, and my favorite review is military.com called it, and I quote, weird. So, and like that was the whole review. <laughs> ah, that's amazing. <laughs> um, that's awesome. So. If it sold and it made its money or what have you, you know, like, or if it made any money, that's what works. So who really even cares? It's 4.5. You know, it's just like, well, right. look at the bottom line. So do you mind if I ask what that bottom line has looked like for you? You know, like how that first distribution deal happened, what you learned from it? Like, how did these conversations go? I'm so curious. <laughs> so so I was introduced to a, a really good friend who is he was like playing really heavily in the producer space at the time. Yeah. And he clued me into the fact that like distributors need content to sell. Yeah. And that was the first paradigm shift. I used to think that there was like a stepping stool. By the way, don't do this. This is the bad way of doing it. Okay. First, you make a movie. 
then you hope your movie gets into festivals. Mm -hmm. And then if you get into the right festivals, distributors will notice you and then maybe you'll make a sale. Yeah. That's so wrong. It's okay. like hot garbage. Festivals have nothing to do with distribution unless you're going to Sundance okay. or South by South, like the top five. Yeah, yeah, yeah. After that, it's marketing. And that's really cool. We can talk about that in mm -hmm. a bit. But what he told me is he's like, look, people need content to sell. People make a living selling it. You just need to reach out to them. And so he turned me on to a couple of tools that we use. First of all, AFI.com, I'm sorry, the AFM.com, the American film market has just a list of every sales agent and distributor at their booth. Ooh. So I made a spreadsheet and I copied every single email off of that list into my spreadsheet and I created a template. Yeah. And me and one of the, our uh, other producers on the film sat in this office day after day and just emailed people. Uh, my name is AJ Martinson. I have a Cold War spy thriller. Here's a trailer. Here's a link. Let me know if you're interested in a deal. And wow. we emailed like, I think about 100 people and we got 30 offers back on the film. Mm -hmm. Wow. Just from cold call emails. What? Okay. Yeah. What kind of deals? Like, is it the the like, ugh, red flag, stay away kind of deal? Or is it the like, these are pretty decent deals? Whole gambit. And that was cool because we had 30 deals. I was able to compare and see what a bunch of different people were offering. Mm -hmm. We didn't see any of the worst kind of deal, which is like pay me up front. So we mm -hmm. didn't see any of those. And mm -hmm. that's like giant red flag. We saw a lot of like, hey, you're going to have a $65,000 marketing overhead expense and we're going to have to, you know, recoup that first before mm -hmm. you see any money. Yeah. And that to me is like, uh, so I actually <laughs> developed a formula. I'll have to go get my spreadsheets out if you want it. But there's like a formula where you can put in the number of territories you're going to sell and their marketing expense and calculate the like adjusted number of territories you'd have to sell before you get money. Yeah. I like created all these formulas to like actually have like a metric of how good the offers that we were seeing were. Myself and the listeners say, yes, we want that. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> all right. You're gonna have to bother me in about a week to get right. that over to you because it's going to take some time to go find. Okay. But right. yeah. Okay. And it's not polished. It was very like yeah. thrown together. So maybe you can help me make this an official like scoring system. But yeah, like basically you'd look at these deals and they'd say, oh, you're going to sell tw like 12 territories at 10 grand. You make 120K. Well, if your marketing expense off the top is 60K and then you yeah. only make 20%. So I usually make 80% after that. Well, you really need to sell 15, 18, 20 territories to yeah. see money. Yeah. And so if there's only 21 territories, you do the math and you're like, oh, screw these guys. Like this is, you know, this is overwhelmingly bad. So I did all of that to try to get like a barometer and then you incorporate your feel of the company. So like who's calling and who's nice? Who do you want to work with? And then you couple on top of that you have to do your due diligence, your research. You got to call every person that that company will give you as a reference mm -hmm. of saying like, hey, you got your film with these people. Do you like it? And then you do your own. Like they'll give you some names and then you'll do your own research and you'll go call whoever else you can find on IMDb that went with them. Mm -hmm. So that's kind of was my process of like weeding down these 30 offers. And like yeah. there was one they, they had, it was 10% only, zero marketing fee. It was like, wow, that looks really sweet. Like they're only going to take 10%. They're going to get it all these places. Unfortunately, I called somebody and they were like, oh, I haven't made a single dollar since I worked with them. <gasps> and so, I'm like, okay, nope, never mind. Cut that off the list. Done. Yeah. You know, and it's, yeah. that, it's that kind of due diligence that you have to do because, you know, you're right. Sales agents and distributors, 
there's a really bad rep in the industry for a reason. A lot of them are really sketchy to work with. Mm -hmm. But the deal we settled on, and I can't give the exact specific number of how much it was, but the deal we settled on was a really sweet minimum guarantee offer. Okay. And this never happens. But what they did is they actually found our Kickstarter campaign. Okay. And they saw that we had fundraised a certain amount of money on Kickstarter. Mm -hmm. And they're like, what if we just give you that amount of money in cash and then like a little bit of extra money on top of that? Mm -hmm. How would you feel about that? And I looked at my producing partner and I'm like, that's like 99% of our budget right there. Yeah. And they're like, but we're going to own the film and we'll do whatever we want with it for 15 years and you get it back at the end of it. Okay. And I'm like, yeah, that is cash in hand. Like they're putting their money where their mouth is. That means they're actually going to get it out there. They're actually going to try to market it. It's not this back burner project. They have skin in the game. Yeah. So that's the deal. That's the deal we chose. And they produce other content too. Oh my gosh. So it's like, okay, if I get, if I work with them, maybe there's a chance in the future. I have Mm. another film. They want to produce it. Like Mm -hmm. it's a relationship. It was a long debate. And you know, there's that pie in the sky that you get like, oh, but maybe if I like trust this other company and don't do the minimum guarantee, like maybe I'll make like a million dollars or whatever. But (laughs) at the end of the day, all the expenses and all that kind of stuff, I just took the cash. Yeah. I took the cash and ran. Yeah. I was happy. Like all of that money I had poured into the film came back into my bank account. I didn't have to eat ramen noodles every day. (laughs) And I had a little bit of cash left over to like make the next film. So Oh my word. It was a once in a million. And like I tried to leverage that over other sales agents. I was like, dude, they're offering me this much. Would you offer me an MG? And they all like laughed at me. They're like, hell no. (laughs) So I I, I, I'm very fortunate we found that company. Yeah. And it was a really good, it was a really positive experience. So. So when was that? That would have been about 2017. That was now about five years ago. You're now kind of in that distribution space again with your documentary. It's a completely different vein, but what kind of differences have you seen this time around? Let's start from the beginning. Why did that movie sell? Yeah. Black Mark sold. It was originally called Redfish Bluefish, and I was going for this like artistic, weird, like the Soviets and the Americans. And like oh, our okay. poster is this like very artful. Uh, yeah. My poster that I paid a designer wasted my money apparently <laughs> to design is this very <laughs> artful like yeah. piece. And I, like I, I have it hanging in my room because I love how that looks. Um, uh-huh. I got this really talented guy who does like Marvel posters, and he's like, "I'll yeah. do that for side cash." And so I love that poster. And they took it to Khan, mm-hmm. uh, which segues into the next film because uh, they took it to Khan and like everyone complained about the poster. Oh, he's got a Soviet hat. We can't buy it in Soviet Russia because he's got the hat. Oh, it's mm-hmm. too red. Oh, it's too artful. It's like this duo tone thing. Yeah. yeah. Turns out they're not selling this as a Cold War spy thriller. This is an action movie for them. Oh, it's just okay. broad genre. And because we had two gunfights in the movie and like some gunplay, they're like, boom, action movie. We're going to make money. <laughs> <laughs> and so the cover of awesome. the sold. The, yeah, sold. And so the the actual cover of the film is like my lead character like holding a gun running through the streets of Washington DC, which doesn't happen at all in the movie. Yeah. The Capitol burning building is burning in the background. You got like Kennedy's limo on fire. There's a helicopter that crashed. And, like nothing to do with like <laughs> the movie itself. Oh, and they my told me stars. Like my first meeting, they're like, hey, we're renaming this, by the way. Like, you don't have a choice. Like, it's Black Mark now. It is not Redfish Bluefish, which is one of our character names. Yeah, I like Black yeah. Mark is cool, but I yeah. have to go redo all my title sequences and everything. So, and, and that's why it's sold. Like, we had key action elements, and their yeah. trailer makes it look like the most generic 
action shoot 'em up and and like it's these big cheesy like the nuclear holocaust is coming but one man i'm like no it was supposed to be artful and now it's this and like i'm so i i on my website i i recut my own trailer for like my website and i use my own poster my own key art because like they what they're doing what i wanted to do with it were very uh very dis- like distinct <laughs> yeah well You'll you'll get it back in ten years, and you'll be put <laughs> red fish, blue fish back on it. <laughs> I don't I don't know if I, I don't know if I want it back in ten years. I think they can keep going. They're they're doing way better back, with darling. it. Yeah, I'll I'll sign it away for another few and see what they can keep it going. Because I, oh. I I I, uh, I don't know if I need to uh, re-enter that void. The end of blindness is different. Mm-hmm. There's no action elements that you can play off of it's cataract surgery in Ethiopia it's heartfelt it's emotional but like who at the end of their day wants to watch cataract surgery in Ethiopia it's a very niche specific audience it's like ophthalmologists and like actually we found through our Instagram stats like women 40 to 60 who are interested in nonprofit. like those are our two markets yeah and it's a very specific thing so what we did is I did the same process I emailed like 50 distributors um This time I used a tool that I learned about when I went to con because I watched them selling my film and we can talk about that too. And it's don't watch people try to sell your movie. Okay. Not good good for your soul as an artist. Um, But I went to con. I learned about the Sinando database. Okay. So for about 200 euros, you can get access to the global distribution, like names, email addresses, physical addresses of thousands and thousands and thousands of sales agents and distributors around the world. And you just search. You're, you're like documentary distributor. And then okay. the whole list of everybody who goes to con pops up. So you do the same thing. You make your spreadsheet. You email all the people. Um, and and we what got, is this called again? Sorry. Sinando.com. Yeah. C-I-N-A-N-D-O.com. Okay. And so I, I, I did my same thing. I emailed like 50 people and mm-hmm. I got zero offers. Yeah, not, not a single soul. And like I emailed distributors I'd worked with on other projects who like d- work in this space. And they're mm-hmm. like, no. And I'm like, why? And they're like 55 minutes. So lesson for your audience, if you want to sell something, 75 minimum really? is so critical. Okay. Don't make a 55 minute. There's not a TV market that's mm-hmm. the same. Like people can really schlep and sell a 90-minute film, a 75-minute film, an 80-minute feature, but when you have like a 55-minute one-off, unless it's a series, it's really difficult. So that was a, that was kind of a hard lesson to learn, and I almost yeah. went back and recut it. But I was introduced to a friend of a friend who's in the Producers Guild, and mm-hmm. she wanted to be my producer's rep. Now, normally I'm like, uh, producer's rep. That's another <laughs> 5 to 10% of my money gone. But she was PGA and she came highly recommended. And, uh, you know, we brought her on as an executive producer. I just like, you know, well, no one's biting on what I'm doing. Let's see what she can do. And if she can't get any sales, then I'm doing it myself. We'll go self-distribution. Yeah, yeah. She brought me a couple of kind of eh offers. And then she found me Passion River. Passion River is awesome. You know, they specialize in documentary and educational content. Okay. And like, that's kind of their bread and butter. And they have features too, but they actually run the magazine that goes out to libraries and universities across the United States, Mm -hmm. listing all of the like edu content that they could purchase for their collection. They run that magazine. I signed with them. First of all, I produced End of Blindness 
for much less than black mark. I mean, pennies yeah. on the dollar comparison. Yeah. So the overhead's low. We don't need this to be a huge money, you know, making mm -hmm. machine. We don't need to sell every person. We just need to connect with our core target audience. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. if they, if everyone in our core target audience buys the film, we're going to be golden. So Passion River with their edu content arm, that's what really attracted them to me. They also let me do a couple of key things that some of the other people weren't. They let me sell my own DVDs. So I could set up my own yeah. shop and sell my own DVDs. They gave okay. me the rights to do my own screenings. Wow. These are things that Blackmark um, and many of the other like distribution deals we were looking at mm -hmm. weren't going to let you do. It's hard to even get a copy. Like I had to go to Walmart and buy my own movie to get okay. the physical copy of Blackmark. Yeah. <laughs> which was super fun because like, hey, there's my movie in Walmart. Like, bye. And I, it was really cool doing that, but it is kind of uh, uh, kind of lame that like I don't have any access to the material. So uh, they let me, yeah. buy, you know, sell my own DVDs, mm -hmm. do my own screenings, you know, as long as it's in like the context of like an in-person thing. Mm -hmm. And they were very cool with us working with the nonprofit so that people who, you know, gave to the nonprofit or other people could like have free access because mm -hmm. we want to mm -hmm. use this as like a marketing tool to help build connections for the nonprofit we were working with. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So between all of those kind of dynamics, they were they were really kind to us and they've been just such a pleasure to work with. When I talked to filmmakers from them, every single person was like, we love Passion River. I wow. see checks in the mail. They're yeah. honest with their reporting. They, they actually report quarterly. Oh, nice. I was like, cool. So if nothing else happens, I can, you like, hopefully they'll make something for me. And if nothing else, I can like sell my own DVDs and make my money back. Like mm -hmm. just shipping them out of the back of my car on the street yeah. corner like fine like some <laughs> yeah. there is going to be a way yeah. to make this happen and so it was it was a pretty easy yes and their terms were good again can't really be super mm -hmm. specific but their terms were good yeah and uh we went with them and like i said uh in the first i think two weeks of the dvd being available they shipped out over 300 copies wow okay and that's huge. Yeah. That, I, I mean, yeah. Because a DVD yeah. sale, a streaming sale is like five cents, right? Yes. Yes. You get, or, or, and like an iTunes sale, you maybe you get like $5. Mm -hmm. DVD mm -hmm. sale, you're at like seven to eight. Yeah. So yeah. in one week, I'm actually seeing money coming back in on yeah. the film with, a, you know, th over 300 and they're still selling it and they have it on streaming and it's on iTunes. Nice. And they're going to get it on like Tubi and all the AVOD and VDOT and they're pitching mm -hmm. international as well. Okay. Okay. So nice. even if international doesn't go, yeah. just the domestic is hopefully going to be enough to like carry us over the budget line because okay. we produced, you know, at such a low budget number. It's been a really good relationship. That's incredible. I mean, like it, it, it always seems like that unicorn on the other side of the fence that you're just like, ah, how do I, how do I get over there? Uh, <laughs> but <laughs> they do distribution and stuff. Do they do advertising? Is that like press? What, uh, what happens with that? That's, that's, that's the rub. So when, when we did, the minimum guarantee, and, and so it was the minimum guarantee to a sales agent on Blackmark, and they sold it to Sony Pictures Home Entertainment through Archstone Entertainment, and there's like five conglomerates, and it's ridiculous. Okay. Anyway, all of that to say, when we went with them, because they had this direct kind of like pipeline, Sony did all of the advertising. And I think for like a hot second, there was like a, a Snapchat ad for my Cold War spy thriller. Because they really like knew their demographics and that's where yeah. all the Cold War spy thriller lovers were hanging out. They handled the core of that advertising. And it wasn't much. Honestly, I think really it was just that Snapchat ad. I didn't go on any shows. There was mm -hmm. no interviews. 
There was no mm-hmm. publicity. They got it into Walmart. They sold a bunch of territories and then let each yeah. territory like market it. And like maybe late night, if you're in France, you're going <laughs> to see a trailer for like Rogue Mission at like three o'clock in the morning, which is the French version of the film. Um, or and, like maybe that's happening. I have no idea. Um, what if it's Rouge what, Mission? Once I sold it, they're like, you're just going to get your money. Like, go away. We don't want to <laughs> bother you anymore. So, <laughs> yes. but yes. in the doc space, and with End of Blindness, our, our executive producer, Martine Malul, mm. she was very clear on you need to be publicized for this. You need to get articles and press done. Mm. And she really pushed me to like think of it like that. I probably wouldn't have done it if it weren't for her because mm-hmm. the distributor's like, I don't know, we're, we'll put it in our magazine that goes out to 300 people and we'll put it on iTunes. And it's kind of up to you. See if you can get a following on Instagram. Mm. I, we don't know how marketing works. So that's not their emphasis. Their okay. emphasis is on business to business. Okay. Um, okay. Selling territories. Got it. Uh, getting it on streaming platforms, okay. that kind of thing. Okay. And so it was up to me to market it. Okay. And I know nothing about marketing. Well, I know a little bit. I've done a lot of commercial stuff. So like I have an idea. I have a sense. Mm -hmm. Uh, But it wasn't my forte. But what we really did, Martine pushed us to get a publicist Mm. for the film. Yeah. And we found October Coast who does really good indie publicity. They're not insanely expensive. Mm -hmm. It's like a good line item, but it's not a line item that's going to kill you. Yeah. And they sent out a PR blast to a bunch of outlets and we got 15 like interviews, articles, press quotes for the DVD. Wow. Reviews on Rotten Tomato, on people's YouTube channel, all over the map, just from this one publicity push with October Coast. And I was really pleased with with that experience. And they actually got us on like radio shows. It was Sports Byline, so had nothing to do with cataracts. I have no idea if anyone from Sports Byline watched the film, but we were on the radio. And like, if you were tuning in, you heard about The End of Blindness and Dr. Samuel and and all that stuff. And we saw a pretty big increase in like our website traffic. We saw an increase in sales. Mm. We saw an increase in like clicks to the iTunes link. All of these things just from, you know, this one publicity campaign mm-hmm. that lasted for, I think, two weeks. Wow. It was very short. It was like, boom. And that really got me into this kind of headspace of like, okay, marketing, advertising, Instagram. So I started doing boosted posts, Mm -hmm. but like a little bit of money at a time, finding the core target audience. And Mm -hmm. I think we finally kind of narrowed it down. Like I said, people 40 to 60, usually women who are interested in nonprofit stuff. Mm -hmm. But having that data is so critical because now I know like, okay, what magazines do they read? Yeah. What magazines do ophthalmologists read? (laughs) Yeah. And through like pestering people on Instagram, you yeah. can get an article written about you. Uh-huh. You can get, you know, uh, coverage in in this different magazine. Mm. Um, we have an article that I'm writing right now for Ophthalmology Business Minute. And that mm-hmm. came about because I tagged someone on Instagram and then I tagged them again. Yeah. And then they ignored me and I tagged them again. <laughs> and then I sent an email and said, hey, we'd love to have an article. And yeah. then when Santa Fe got ready, I sent out this beautiful little like invite card that yeah. said, hey, come to the Santa Fe Film Festival, see our movie because they're right there. Uh-huh. And then I get an email response like, we'd love to do an article about you. It'll come out in late February. <laughs> I'm like, cool. So persistence. And then but every time an article would come out, a podcast would drop. The numbers on the website would spike. We'd, you know, triple our traffic, wow. make a few more sales. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was really cool. Something you had mentioned before. Um, in our correspondence, you were talking about the comparison between DVD sales and streaming. Mm. Talk about that. Yeah. So fascinating, fascinating thing that we've discovered in this. We, we With the nonprofit, the nonprofit sponsored a certain number of discs 
that we could sell or like links or discs or however it is for people who had, you know, donated to the film. And it was, I just want to say for clarity, and I have to give this disclaimer, the nonprofit didn't pay for it. It wasn't donor money that paid for it. It was someone who was affiliated with it was sponsoring okay. it. Okay. Uh, okay. The nonprofit's very particular that no money was used, you know, in the production of this, no donor yes. money. Yes. It was, yes. you know. Well, I, no, I mean, I can I can completely understand that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> very important. Um, this to is know. A se- two separate entities. Yes. Um, and anyway, but someone very near and dear to the nonprofit sponsored a certain number of discs going out so that people could, you know, experience where their money went. Mm-hmm. And so we were giving them out for free and we said, you can pick, you can do streaming link, you can do a Blu-ray or you could do a DVD. Of the, you know, responses we got back, 25%, I would say, wanted streaming. Hmm. I don't, I'm going to do the percentages wrong, but like 10% wanted Blu-ray. Mm-hmm. Like five people asked for a Blu-ray. Like yeah. nobody wanted Blu-ray. <laughs> and the entire rest of that pie chart was all DVD. Oh my gosh. So it was, it was wow. a huge ratio. I think we, we ended up shipping almost a hundred discs out with that, uh, with that promotion. And I was shocked because I, you know, I'm kind of a cinephile. I like my Blu-rays. Like they're nice. Right. <laughs> but then I think about it. Like I, I never put a Blu-ray in. I like mm-hmm. now I, I, if it's on the Netflix or the 2B or the iTunes, like click and stream. Mm-hmm. Like that's how I like yeah. to see it. I don't know if you know this, but Blu-ray to set up replication for Blu-ray. So like to do mass production requires, uh-huh. I think they lowered it now to $500, but it used to be like $2,000 licensing fee wow. that you have to pay okay. just in a, just to do the replication. So it okay. costs like 14, 20 times the percentage of making a DVD. Wow. It's a lot. It's a lot more money to yeah. make a Blu-ray. We found, you know, I think going forward, streaming is a must because mm-hmm. that's the future. Mm-hmm. And everybody has a DVD player and nobody buys the $20 Blu-ray. And, 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 and I didn't even I didn't even replicate. Our, ours are like limited edition, like hand duplicated to yeah. keep costing because we can't afford that setup fee. It's ridiculous. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. You're kind of putting things where you had mentioned before, as in like, don't go the festival route you know, and then hope for distribution, you've like jumped straight into distributing what you can. But tell me about the festival route for this. Yeah. So, so, uh, uh you can see my uh, award hanging out back there. Hey. I'm so happy. It's my, like, I'm now an award-winning filmmaker. Like, isn't that what we all want to be? Right. Like, um, I remember being 18, like, how do I get an award? I want to be an award-winning filmmaker. I don't want to be just a filmmaker. It's all nonsense. Um, <laughs> but it's good for the soul. It's good for the ego. Right. We, we, we need those, we need to be uplifted because like often, I don't know, maybe people will resonate with this. Like, you know, you make art in a vacuum, you yep. show it to the people you know, yep. and then it, like it goes out into the ether and like maybe people enjoy it. I don't mm-hmm. know. But I found that film festivals are really for publicity and marketing, mm-hmm. not so much for gaining distributor attraction. Part yeah. of that was when I was talking to distributors, I said, hey, what festivals do you go to? Like half of them said, we never go to festivals. Why would we waste our time? Except for the top five film festivals you're not going to really get distribution. You're not going to make a lot of sales. It really is just for marketing. So on End of Blindness, what I did is I applied to film festivals that I thought we had a shot at getting into to save my money. You know, 50 bucks for 100 film festivals is like, what is that? You know, uh, I can't math right now, but it's a lot of money. It's Mm -hmm. not cheap. And so we really tried to laser in and focus like, okay, like probably we're not going to go to Toronto or Cannes or Sundance, mm-hmm. but like maybe like a regional festival or like, oh, here's mm-hmm. one that focuses on like medical documentaries. Like, let's go there. Mm-hmm. And like mm-hmm. really trying to like, like, a you know, pair the film with the right film festivals to maximize your return on investment. Because you have to think yeah. about it like yeah. that. Yeah. And yeah, so we course. got accepted Absolutely. into five 
six film festivals through that okay. method. Nice. And 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 they're like arranged. There's a couple of regionals, like we did Albuquerque and Santa Fe. People in New Mexico love our movie, um, mm. and I'm very excited about that. And most of it was like height of COVID, so we didn't screen at any of them except mm-hmm. for now we finally have our first screening at Santa Fe. But what nice. it did is when I went to my distributor and I was like sending out those emails, you stick the laurels in the email. Mm-hmm. Look, we're winning festival. Like yeah, we, yeah. we won. Um, Best documentary at one. We were nominated at two others. Uh, Mm -hmm. We did the Impact Doc Awards, which is like not really a festival. It's just like, hey, we're going to judge your film and send you a trophy. And like, hey, they like the film. You get a trophy. So like, oh, there's one on my desk. And it feels really good. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. By the way, that's not like a pay to win one. Just to set it up. Like Mm -hmm. there is a standard and you have to. Mm -hmm. But all this to say, targeting the right film festivals, getting those laurels, putting them on the DVD jacket, putting them out in your press release. Mm-hmm. putting them out when you talk to dis- you know, like distributors and sales agents. It was really key. And we started that process simultaneously with distributors mm-hmm. so that if the distributor had like a festival strategy or a marketing strategy, it would work out. Yeah. And that's actually what's cool about Santa Fe. We are selling the DVDs. We are driving people to go get the streaming links. Mm. While we are also advertising like, hey, come to Santa Fe Film Festival and watch the movie screen. So we get this kind of multi-layered marketing so that we're always driving people to watch the film Mm -hmm. in many different ways. So it's it's kind of nice doing a festival with that in play. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And like, you know, I think you had mentioned before something about like grassroots, like marketing campaigns where you're allowed to because of your agreement you're allowed to do that whereas i'm i, I assume before you you weren't yeah, like on uh, like on blackmark yeah yeah well yeah. Uh, there like, there was like no screenings incentive. and stuff like that too yeah exactly they took they took the global they took like the global rights thing and because i did an mg with uh, a minimum guarantee mm-hmm. with blackmark it was yeah. a, it's a lot different so for okay. instance if i was getting a percentage of every sales there would still be like an incentive to handle the marketing yeah. on a different film or on a new film mm-hmm. but uh, in in this one instance you know it's really heavily like the success of this movie is heavily tied to me like finding and carving that audience and mm-hmm. like getting them really hyped and excited yeah, yeah, and yeah. going grassroots gotcha there's a great book I'd recommend. Uh, it's an ebook. It's free. It's called Selling Your Film Without Selling Your Soul. Ooh. And that was really inspirational of like, okay, people can do this. It's possible. If I do a film in the future, you know, I might be really tempted to do a self-distribution model uh, where mm. you do like an aggregator like Bitmax mm. and you, you know, get all of the data because that's the one thing you always sacrifice with a the distributor. They're not going to give you the data any of metrics. who actually bought. Very few, if not, if, if, if any. So you kind of have to guess. You kind of have yeah. to go like, okay, well, I know we did good on iTunes, but why did we, like, who's buying on iTunes? Yeah. You're never going to yeah. get that. Yeah. I feel like, <laughs> I like, and I'm, I'm kind of just curious why, to give them job security, I guess, but being open with that would increase the chances of a filmmaker finding you that is actually up the alley. Like, you know, oh, hey, uh, these are the kinds of people that actually bought your film. Fantastic. I have a friend who made a film exactly for that audience. Like, why why keep it under wraps? I don't get it. I can only guess, right? So what I say is not probably the right answer. But my, yeah. my guess is it has to do with the amount of work it would take to provide that data. Yeah, so I let's say you have too. like one yeah. film and mm-hmm. then you have 15 films and then you have 50 films and like I, Passion River, they like take a lot of films. So they have a huge library. 
Yeah. You know, and and when you you're managing that much data, the only amount of time you're gonna have is to like give them the quick report. Here's how much money we owe you. Done. Yeah. So I true. think it's less it's malicious true. and more time to benefit. Like mm -hmm. they don't care. <laughs> They're not gonna see more sales if they provide that data. Like yeah. that's my guess. But that's why it's really important to pick a distributor or a sales agent who you have, like you can call on the phone and they'll answer. Mm -hmm. They're kind to you. They're not pushy. They're not nudgy. And they communicate clearly. And that's my first question when I ask people, like, do you like working with them? It's like, mm -hmm. hey, do they report on time? And if they don't report on time, you're not even getting the little data you're owed, right? Mm -hmm. That's a breach of contract straight out the gate. Yeah, I, I think I'm going to also mention right now, I think you're familiar with it too, the um, the Facebook group, Protect Yourself from Predatory Distributors and Aggregators. Um, I believe that's an indie film hustle group on Facebook that you can join. And everybody talks about every single distribution deal that's gone bad you know hey what about this oh yeah stay away or hey with your particular experience which has been good like absolutely go with them i want to know a story of when something went wrong and what you did to fix it or grow from it this is what went wrong all right, so I, I I got my prop, and and this is what went wrong on Into Blindness. A whole um, stack of DVDs, CDs. These are every single quality control check I did while Stop. making the DVD for the movie. Oh my gosh! And this is what perfectionism looks like. <laughs> uh, bad, bad, unhealthy, horrible perfectionism. <laughs> Uh, if you start at the bottom of the stack, you'll see version one, and if you end the stack, I think there's at least 97 versions <gasps> of this. Stop. Each one was a different watch through of the film. Oh my so word. that means I watched it at least 100 times <laughs> while making it over the course of six months of trying to make this DVD. The way it would go is at first, I found that uh, at first I was checking like the technicals. Uh, I'm a like really particular about my encoding for DVDs, mm -hmm. I think. But this I'm going to get geeky with it for a second. Yes, so, please like, do. Most places where you go to buy a DVD, they use like off the shelf, like media encoder to make the, like take it from HD to SD. Mm -hmm. And it looks horrible because they're not de like scaling it down correctly. So like all your text looks nasty and it looks jagged and it's yeah. awful. Yeah. So I spent like three months researching every single different encoder for wow. DVD so wow. that my DVD could look as close to HD as possible when wow. people played it. Like most Hollywood films do. Like we're yeah. never really bothered. It like when you put Lord of the Rings on DVD on, it looks good. Yeah. So I found my own custom encoding. I, I like negotiated with the authoring house that was going to make it. Like I'm going to send you the files. Mm -hmm. But what that means is like I have to check the files and I have to make sure the encoding's done right. <laughs> and that's a problem when you're a perfectionist. <laughs> No, this is the good thing if you're a perfectionist because you know that it's going to look good. You, well, you know that it's going to look good, but then you start watching your film over and over again. And oh, what no. happens when you're the editor and the encoder oh, and no. you did like, like, you know, you're working with the sound mixer really close. And so mm -hmm. you start finding things and you did your own subtitles. So like you'd watch the film like, is there a comma missing there? Is that is that shot a little green? Oh no. Is there green in his hair? Did she blink at the wrong time? Oh no. And and, and it just spiraled into like I you know, watching the film, finding one thing, rendering the whole thing out again, watching it down again, burning a DVD, <laughs> on and on and on. So this goes on for months and months and months. This sounds and we get like to the encoding house. house. 
It was an absolute nightmare and it was terrible. And like, it gave me like so much to talk about with my therapist. It's beautiful. (laughs) Um, But uh, we go through, we, we go through, we go through like, I would say maybe like this many DVDs to get it to the encoding house. Right. And we get to the encoding house and like all the careful work that I did, they like change (gasps) in the authoring process yeah not in the actual like dvd itself but like the subtitles which i i I learned how to do proper subtitles and Uh by the way if you want good subtitles cine type and uh, i used um caption max are fantastic don't go to rev they don't know how to time things correctly interesting i know this is what happens when you get the ocd and the filmmaking yeah um so save yourself hours of heartache go to captionmax.com and just order professional subtitles that are made for movies yeah don't you know like sweat it they'll they'll and ask for the netflix spec because netflix looks better than like most other specifications Mm -hmm. and I could go on and get geeky with that. But anyway, Mm -hmm. to get to the encoding house, it was like that many. And then you get to the encoding house and you find out that like the software they're using changes the timing of all your subtitles. No. (sighs) (laughs) (laughs) That you spent so much money and time trying to get perfect. Uh, And anyway, uh, it's not their fault. Like the, 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 the manufacturing house was great, but I had to really get in there and like go over each detail again. And so that was like, the next stack of 50 was just checking that back and forth. Anyway, all this to say, that was something that went really wrong, really showed one of my weaknesses as a filmmaker, this this perfectionist mindset. Because honestly, let's be real, we're business people as yeah. well as artists. And if yeah. that shot is a little green, if that mm-hmm. caption is a little off time, you still got their ticket money. They're still yeah. watching the movie. It doesn't matter. You're not going to win any more audience members for that. The story is the only thing that matters. And and then yeah. the marketing is the only thing that matters. Not to be dark about it, but like that's the truth. Like if you get yeah. someone to buy the disc, they bought the disc. Yeah. So anyway, yeah. Y- you want to have artistry, but this is too much artistry. <laughs> I think there's a balance. Uh, that's, that's, <laughs> that's borderline. So that's, like, I'm, I mean, I'm kind of glad to hear that you had a therapist <laughs> help you through <laughs> this whole thing. Because like, oh my gosh, now I'd be worried for you i'm just like are you okay bro <laughs> <laughs> that was yeah my my, my 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 girlfriend is an angel she she was very understanding in the process and like was very like i know that you want this to be really good aj but like <laughs> nobody's gonna care like let it go and like i can still find like there's like three or four things and eventually i'd be like no i'm making a stand against this craziness like yeah. it's done so yeah, that yeah, was yeah. uh there's a time there's a time there's to a time say no, and you just gotta to say, say it that it's and, done it's done. And now it's, yep, yep, it's yep. out and I'm very happy. And uh, <laughs> I, I don't have to do this. I don't have to wake up in the morning and watch the movie again anymore. Yeah. You could it's burn fantastic. those if you wanted. I'm just saying. I could. But I think it's it's a good, rem- it's a shrine. It's like a good reminder <laughs> of what not to do. What not to do. And yes. my advice, if anyone starts to fall into that trap, my advice to get out of it is hire people you trust and step away. Yeah. Because hiring Caption Max to do the captions, mm-hmm. hiring a good sound mixer to fix my sound, mm-hmm. finding, you know, really good authoring houses who know what they're doing. Mm-hmm. It just makes life so much easier. So it was a hiring problem. It's yeah. too much DIY, too much perfectionism. Dude. And it can lead to really big But at big, the same uh, time, really shoot. <laughs> but yeah, but at the same time, shoot, I'm going to I'm gonna be calling you when I'm just like, hey, so I have this thing. Where do I even start? <laughs> that's the that's the thing like some some of this is perfectionism but i'm a curious person like i get interested in like why is this not working and so it was really fun to like learn about subtitle timing and learn about like 
how to do a proper Dolby encoding on audio mm-hmm. and like I and how to do the best possible video yeah. for DVD. So right. I took away from it a lot of really good stuff. Yeah. But next time I'm going to have like a quality control guy so I, I don't have so to watch it. So that you don't have to. Good. <laughs> I mean, it looked it, like it sounds like lessons have been learned. So oh, <laughs> we're yeah. all good. Now I want to hear about the chaos. Please tell me about the chaos. I don't know how most first days of a feature are supposed to go. But the first day on my feature was absolute insanity. We had um, it, we filmed one of the climax scenes of the entire movie on the first day. Do not recommend. <laughs> but because we got a like ten thousand dollar location for free, which is a whole other story that I actually can't talk about. Uh, it's my mafia <laughs> okay. connection. No, I'm just kidding. Ah, gotcha. Uh, gotcha. <laughs> yes, yes, yeah. <laughs> Don't come after uh, me. No, but we 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 got this amazing like gorgeous location. Uh, on a tr- on a favor, but that was the one day that we could shoot. And got it. We only got one day. You only got one chance. It's the crux of the movie. We had like I think it was twelve pages. We had to shoot. You know, a normal <gasps> day is like six, but we had to shoot like twelve pages, and including like a fight scene. That's like the fight scene at the end of the movie, and like everyone's first day. Yeah, and fight choreography, and like it was with people who were like a little bit older, so it was like. This was not a day that was going to move quickly by any means. Mm -hmm. And I think the worst moment of my entire filmmaking career happens. We're like on hour nine or 10. And one of the actors stops in the middle of the scene, points his finger at me and goes, you need to bleep this. But you, motherfucker, you are the worst director I have ever worked with in my entire life. You will never make a movie again. I'm going to walk the off this set if you don't get your shit together right the fuck now oh <laughs> in front of not only my my crew that i'm gonna try to work 22 days with but oh in my- front of my like grandma who came to support <gasps> my mom and dad are there like the entire family I, I i stopped and i went okay but let's finish the scene now and we got back in and we finished the scene and like i kept my cool until i went home that night and i went home that night i kid you not i like cried I was like, first of all, I'm not making this movie. And second of all, I'm not making any movies ever again. Like, I'm quitting tomorrow morning. Oh, But I went to sleep, felt better in the morning, picked myself back up. And the next time that same actor came to set, the next time he came to set, because we had like four more days with him. He was not wrapped. Yeah. Uh, He still came back. Yeah. And we made sure to like really, you know, treat him with the care and respect that he needed, that he was looking for. Yeah. We learned a lot. And by the end of the shoot, he was like, hey, look, what I saw on day one and what I saw at the end of this project were two different people. And Mm -hmm. I'm really like, I'm so thrilled to be a part of this. And I'm proud of like the movie that we've made together. And I'm like, you know, basically, I'm sorry. So what pivoted? uh, What, What set did he see at the beginning versus at the end? Well, I think when you go in on a six, like our in, our day ended up being 16 hours the yeah. first day. Yeah. And it was bad scheduling. Yep. We didn't have an AD. So oh. like I was trying to AD and direct and like make rookie, rookie mistakes. Yeah. We were in chaos. It was just, it was a bad first day. Yeah. And, and we were all getting our sea legs under us yep. and like, you know, first feature, brand new crew, brand yep. new, like everyone's trying to gel and mm-hmm. a really hard day. Mm-hmm. And I think he, you know, he, he didn't realize I didn't have as much experience, I think, as he was expecting gotcha. on day one. Gotcha. We adapted. Yeah. We, and the scene came out totally fine. And the movie plays. Like, it didn't, yeah. like, nothing was was compromised. But I think I learned very quickly, like, how to deal with people that need just a little bit of extra attention on set, want to make, you know, actors want to feel special. Everyone mm-hmm. wants to feel special, yeah. right? So yeah. making sure that, like, 
you set up an appropriate dressing room mm -hmm. for someone to go retreat to so they're not just hanging out in the middle of nowhere, that they can have quiet time and space mm -hmm. and relax and get in their head. Yeah. And like every actor's different. Some are like, I'm going to go paint the flats for you. And like we had one, like I walk into where the PD is working and one of our actors, uh, he's a good friend of mine now. His name is Elliot. And I, I kid you not, he's in full wardrobe with a paintbrush, like rolling flats. I'm like, <laughs> Elliot, no, if you get paint on that. We're done. It's over. <laughs> but like that, he just, he wanted to help. He's yeah. like, I'm, I'm having a good time. Yeah. So there, there, there's just different spectrums of people. And, yeah, and yeah. like our production learned on that day how to manage a different type of people mm -hmm. than I was used to. Yeah. And when I say manage, it's just make that person feel happy and safe and comfortable so that they can give their very best performance. Yeah. You know, yeah, and, yeah. and I like him. We're still in communication to this day. He's a fantastic actor. He's a great person. Yeah, yeah. But, you know, you just, you just got to learn the hard lessons sometimes of yeah. like, you know, how to deal with different people. Got so you, got It you. was <laughs> worst first day ever, but really good <laughs> lessons learned. So. Oh my gosh. I can't I can't say that I would have been able to ke like keep my cool in front of everybody like that would I would have just <laughs> I would have broken down right there <laughs> like oh, okay was... you're right everybody go home <laughs> we're done that's it goodbye no it, 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 it felt like that but you know when there's too many trucks in the driveway like it's gonna take too long to pack up and you just got to sit there knowing you messed up so it was like well let's see if we can finish up and we, yeah. we got it we got all the yeah, stupid footage yeah, except for we, we, we missed one scene and we found a different house to pick it up in and totally fine. Yeah, but, and it worked yeah. out. And it all worked out. But I mean, it's it, it's those situations where, I mean, like the like the question that I asked is it's seriously just because of the growth, you know, like what did you do to fix it or grow from it? And I mean, there are all of these kinds of situations that everybody, I'm sure so many people could, could relate to <laughs> um, <laughs> having an interaction with somebody who is just like, huh! And you know they drop a lot of reality on you. I mean, in not so fantastic words, you're just like, "All right." I mean, but do they have a point? I mean, I guess, yeah. I mean, that's the heat of the kitchen. So, <laughs> yeah, you get uh, if if you're not gonna go to film school, you're gonna have to take knocks like that. If yeah. you're not gonna, even if you do uh, go to film uh, school, you know, yeah, even if yeah. you, but but you know, I mean, for me in particular, like. Mm -hmm. It was my trial by fire and it was yeah. really good for me. It was a great experience to, yeah. to have that happen and then to be able to come back from it. Like, I'm really, I'm actually kind of thankful in some ways. Mm -hmm. You know, I wish it didn't happen in front of everyone. I wish <laughs> grandma didn't have to hear the profanity. <laughs> But yeah. she went home and was like, oh, those Hollywood people, you know, like, <laughs> oh, and like I, I very carefully constructed like, oh, it's OK that I'm a filmmaker. They're all really nice. Yeah. And she was having a great time. And then boom, explosion. <laughs> yeah. Again, like I'm really thankful for it. It was a good learning opportunity. And, uh, you know, the guy he's he, out of the pressure of those horrible moments. He's a total sweetheart and, mm -hmm. and no knock on him. It was yeah. it was kind of deserved. So, yeah, yeah. yeah, it was good. <laughs> So one of the things that we like to ask is about the tools of your trade, what gear or gadget is an old reliable or resource, the one that is your kind of old standby. I really like small cameras now. Mm -hmm. I, when I got started, when DSLRs were brand new, like the Canons just came out, like the 5D Mark II, I didn't like small cameras. Yeah. They were shaky. It was hard yeah. to stabilize them. They didn't have good balance. Yeah. But I am a huge fan of the Sony A7S series. Mm -hmm. That's what I shot into blindness on. Okay. And I actually, at that time, I had to develop my own custom color science for it. Okay. So on the A7S II, if you shoot in S-Log, uh -huh. you're going to get banding in the highlights because it's an 8-bit camera. Yes. You really want 10-bit to shoot in log. So what I did is I took 
the normal gamma, which is the, you know, the light to dark, the, the tones, I took uh -huh. the normal gamma in the profile settings, set the S gamut, which is the color science, uh -huh. to the same as you'd normally shoot with S log, so S gamut three. Okay. And when you do that, what you get is no banding in the highlights and really what? great skin tones. What? Really great colors. So it doesn't look like an A7S. Another documentary that I DP'd, we shot it in Europe and it was matching with an Alexa. What? Like, not perfectly, but with a little color grading, you could, like, I showed people, they could not tell which was the Alexa, which was the A7. Yeah. So the real trick with those cameras, yeah, is just finding that, like, really perfect color balance and color tone mm -hmm. that looks awesome. And once I developed that hack for it, I was sold. Yeah. Because instead of bringing yeah. around this giant 10-pound, like, mm -hmm. F5 or FX9 or yeah, whatever, yeah, yeah. you get this tiny little thing. How about uh, your favorite new gadget, one that revolutionizes how you work? Okay, it's it's two parts. So I'm going to bounce off the cameras and like these new A7S3s with 10-bit recording built in yeah. and like autofocus. Yeah. I mean, when I did Into Blindness, yeah. it's yeah. one camera, SLR, at shooting at like two eight to F2.8 to 4, and I'm like pulling focus <laughs> while I'm shooting. Yeah. And like maybe it's in focus and like somehow we got enough usable things. Mm -hmm. But this eye-tracking autofocus and I can just tap the screen. Yeah. For yeah. low-budget documentary, corporate, whatever. Mm -hmm. Oh, my gosh. That just... Oh. <laughs> Man. Okay. So, all right. Is it true that they finally, finally put in a sensor cover for when you're, for when you're changing uh, lenses? Lenses? Yeah. I don't know. So, Mine doesn't do that. So, Sony, for the longest time, did not have this. Uh, Canon yeah. had developed it for their R-series, but I remember... That for uh, the latest Sony, and I cannot remember which one it is, I'm sorry, but for the latest Sony, they have a sensor cover as well as, yeah, that um, that autofocus. And, you know, I've heard also that the menus are not as horrific because I yep. hate I hate Sony menus. They're terrible. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And like, yeah. I was on set one time, and the guy he like because I was I was shooting some BTS, and I had I had my uh, A7S as well, and he's just like, oh hey, you know, um, like do you like it? And I was just like, I hate it. Honestly, it's a diva. I hate it. Right. <laughs> and I'm like, I hate the menus. Hate them all. And he's just like, honestly, it's like that all the way up into their cinema cameras. Awful, awful. Like user interfaces, it's horrible. But this last one I heard was really fantastic with the user interface, with the uh, with the sensor cover. And my my question is, do you still have to use the lenses? I, I know you don't have to, but there are some Sony lenses that they're still focused by wire. That makes it really, really hard. Yeah, I mean, you can't set any marks or anything like that. It's just like this continuous barrel that... I'm going to give a, a kind of a story that people might relate to. I used to be really geeky about like, I need to have a focus wheel and I need to have like a cinema lens with like the stops yeah. removed. And like, yeah, I, yeah, to yeah, be, yeah. like just, I want it to be like, I'm making a film wherever I go. That is yeah. exhausting, Tanya. That is exhausting. Yes. <laughs> I couldn't, I couldn't give yeah. two shits anymore. I'm yeah. sorry to say, yeah. like, I just don't yeah. care. Like, yeah. is it, I want it sharp. So yeah. if I'm not doing something that requires like a, the creative aesthetic of like a cook lens or like something that's really pretty, mm -hmm. then I'm just going to slap those good old Sony lenses on it and just use that autofocus and abuse the crap out of it. Yeah. yeah. Because oftentimes, like, I don't have the budget for a first AC. Yeah. You know, I mean, unlike the features and the docs, of course. Like, yeah. I mean, I, again, into blindness, I didn't have any AC. I had nobody. Yeah, yeah, yeah. For stuff but, like but that. But features and commercials and all of that fun stuff. Yeah, you do that. But yeah. You know. 
but like, but, but when you're, when it's just you and a camera, just a couple of guys, whatever. Oh my gosh. Yeah. <laughs> Fly by wire, autofocus, lock onto the eye for me, shoot at F1.4. I don't care. As long as yeah. it looks good. Yeah. That's, that's my priority. So how do people find you or follow your work? So people can check out uh, Section 3 Films, which is my company at section3films.com. Mm -hmm. And you'll just see my portfolio, things like that, some trailers. But what's really exciting is where you can check out The End of Blindness because we're doing this massive social media campaign right now. We're posting frequently. There's like a little bit of conversation going. So you can check us out on Facebook. You can check us out on Instagram at End of Blindness. And you can find links to all of that at theendofblindness.com, which is kind of the central hub for the whole thing. Awesome, awesome, awesome. Well, man, seeing into the depths of distribution and having all of these resources literally listed out has been incredible. I know that I valued it incredibly, but thank you so much for being open and for being on the show. Oh, you're so welcome. It was uh, it was a pleasure. And, and just remember, never this again. Don't do this before. <laughs> never just again. Do not, for the audio listeners, I'm holding up a stack of 100 DVDs. Please <laughs> save yourselves. Caption Max all day long. Yeah, yeah, pretty much. If you enjoy this interview, follow us right here and on Instagram. Ask us questions and check out more episodes at thepracticalfilmmaker.com. Be well and God bless. We'll see you next time on The Practical Filmmaker.